This episode is sponsored by Ting Mobile. Cutting your phone bill in half has never been easier with Ting's Mobile Smarter Plans. All of Ting's plans include unlimited talk and text and start at $10 per month per line. You can add data plans starting at $15 and unlimited from $45. Just imagine how many times you can listen to every episode of this podcast with that kind of cheddar. And no matter how much data you use, there's a perfect Ting plan for you and your family. And don't forget, you'll get access to Ting's award-winning customer service with nationwide LTE and 5G coverage, plus no contracts ever. And that's a pretty sweet deal because you know how I feel about contracts in general. You can pretty much use any phone on Ting and you can keep your current number, assuming you're not trying to cut all ties with your past life and starting over anew. Hopefully somewhere friendlier than Los Angeles. Maybe Saginaw or Apple Valley or Discovery Bay. Those all sound nice. If you head to musicalsplaining.ting.com to check your current phone, create an account, and pick the plan that's right for you, you will get $25 off. Ting will send you a SIM card, and you'll pop that in your phone and be activated in minutes. Again, go to musicalsplaining.ting.com and save $25. There's never been a better time to try Ting. Choose smarter, choose Ting Mobile. Alright everybody, welcome to the Musical Splaining Podcast. I am your host and musical guest, Kava Taharian. And I am still on permanent hiatus, Lindsay Ellis. <laughs> and I'm Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yes, special guest host. <laughs> Today we are joined by a very famous rocketeer. <laughs> Uh, yes, of course, because we're talking about all things Phantom, because my life is a living hell that will never end, we are, of course, joined by <laughs> our, our favorite uh, our favorite Angie Mian. Angie, welcome. My favorite Hi. Angie Mian. <laughs> yeah. You know, but the other Angie Mians are kind of yeah. cutting it close now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, she's in the she's at least in the top five. Yeah. Be careful. Angie. Top three yeah. Angie Mians out there. You better make sure you do a good job this time, otherwise you're going to get cut and we have to bring a different oh, one on. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to have... <laughs> oh, no. Who are you going to watch Phantom stuff with? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, when we were talking about how to approach this season, since originally the conceit of this show was we weren't going to do any movies, uh, Kava texted me um, <laughs> this, I can't believe this exists. And it was, of course, Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> and that was where I was like, oh, well, there is a thing that firmly exists only in the realm of film and doesn't a little bit have a toe in the theater, at least to my knowledge. So uh, I was like, you know what? If we're going to cover this masterpiece, we have to look at film. And so that is why we are here. Yes. And she's dancing. I was going to say, you can't see, but Angie's super <laughs> she's so dancing. She's one short, step short of doing a backflip right now. Uh, this is like <laughs> legitimately one of my favorite movies. I'm so, really? so hyped. Yes. I, I love oh this movie. God. Like, I've never, <laughs> it's one of those movies that you hear about it. The and only you're like, good phantom movie. Yeah. Like, you're like, this movie can't possibly exist. And then you see it and it like, <laughs> it, it kicks ass on so many levels. Like, I've never shown it to somebody who wasn't immediately like, okay, this is like balls to the wall. And... I admire it for that. So um, yeah. just being yeah. <laughs> as insane as it is. I feel like maybe the failure of this movie, financially anyway, might be it was like, is this what inhibited Brian De Palma? Like he was just like, <laughs> fine, I will reign in my weirdness, I guess. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I think this is like the last movie he made before Carrie. And oh, then so Carrie it's an was early one this. that he made. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah this yeah, is super, yeah. super early to Palma. Oh, my God. Yeah, this was the last movie um, he made before, or, well, yeah, one of the last movies he made before his breakout hit, Carrie, which, of course, is one of the biggest hits of the 1970s, and uh, skyrocketed to Palma into the A-ish, the B-ish list. He's never the A-list. Let's be he's like the bottom <laughs> tier of the A-list of New Hollywood. He's always, like, yeah, in he's those like, photos he's with like, all those guys. He's like a solid B-plus list. Yeah, he's like the highest yeah. of the B like yeah, what? he had a good 80s and 90s. Yeah, he peaked with like the Untouchables, and then kind of. I, you know what? I got really bad food poisoning right beside I, before I saw the Black Dahlia, and so all my memory of that movie is vomiting <laughs> in a Regal Cinemas. So uh, yeah. I, I got to give it to Brian De Palma for this one. <laughs> Sounds like a great time. Yeah. Mm. So uh, shall we? Shall we stats it up? Let Let's learn a little bit about uh, Brian De Palma's forgotten masterpiece, Phantom of the Paradise. The Phantom of the Paradise is a 1974 rock musical horror comedy directed by noted director, you want to guess who it is? Brian De Palma, uh, with an original soundtrack by Paul Williams, known to most listeners for his work on The Muppets. Oh, that's interesting. Are they like... I should note also that like Angie wrote these notes. Yeah. <laughs> we had a guest note writer. Yeah. I do know about Paul Williams because I did read that uh, Jim Henson biography. Are there Muppets in this movie? Oh, that's um, like the only thing that it's missing from this movie, oh, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Showtime! Showtime at the El Suizo! Already disappointed. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> starring Williams himself as CD Music Empresario Swan, along with William Finley as the titular Phantom, Jessica Harper as his muse Phoenix, and Garrett Graham as Beef? What is, <laughs> that's his name? Beef! Beef! <laughs> beef! Beef! Uh, who is Beef? Uh, beef... I think that's oh. like left best unsaid. Fave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Beef is a journey of discovery. Yeah. That's a discussion for part two when we figure out who Beef actually yeah, yeah. is. The movie concerns Winslow Leach, an aspiring folk songwriter whose music is stolen by the mysterious swan for the opening night of his newest nightclub, The Debauched Paradise. After being framed by Swan for theft, sent to Rikers, and subsequently deformed in a record press accident. What? <laughs> what is a record yep. press? A record press? Oh, like he, they were pressing records. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I thought yep. I thought it was like he was talking to the press, and then something <laughs> happened. Like, so sent to records, subsequently deformed in a record press accident. Winslow takes on the mantle of the Phantom <laughs> and throws theater into a reign of chaos in a bid to get his revenge. When an upcoming young singer by the name of Phoenix gets caught in the crosshairs of all of this, Swan strikes a truth with Winslow that conceals a deeper, more horrible secret lurking below. Part musical comedy and camp slasher, Phantom manages to be a love letter to the film's most enduring horror stories and also a send-up of the 70s recording industry. Wow, this is this is quite a lot to unpack here. Uh, upon its theatrical release, Phantom only recovered 250000 of its $1.3 million budget and was deemed a box office flop, while most critics panning it. That was a lot it, for back then. Yeah, this is a shock, too. I'm yep. surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I think Carrie only had uh, something like a half a million dollar budget, and it made uh, something like $35 million back. So that was like, oh, wow. you know, what saved De Palma's career from this movie. I was going to say, it's like uh, M. Night Shyamalan, who's like, he was budgets got bigger and bigger but once they started giving him the small movies that's when he sort of had the resurgence right with all the oh, movies yeah. called the crazy people movies where he's like got multiple oh, personalities uh, gl- no no uh, sh- thanks i hate yeah, it uh, yeah i'm like not glass split split split, <laughs> split. split. yeah split shaken and glass yeah uh, <laughs> and then follow bipolar yeah borderline yeah he just goes through like the dm5 
But he works he works better with a limited budget, apparently, is, is what he learned. Okay, so I mean that's one way of putting it. Sure. <laughs> by better, you mean shorter. Uh, sure. God, I'm sorry. I hate honestly, like I don't hate I tangent. I don't hate Shyamalan movies, but I hate those movies. I haven't yeah. seen any of them. They're um, really bad. <laughs> let's see. Though a few voices, like famed critic uh, Pauline Kael, praised it for its humor and unique visual surrealism. Pauline Kael. Yeah. Kael, Kael. I always call it, say Kael. Yeah, Kael. I always forget. Uh, it's very Pauline famous. Kael. Kael, yes. Very, very famous uh, film critic who championed many of these, of these guys' careers in the 70s and 80s. Um, since its creation, a small but devoted cult following has kept it alive over the last nearly 50 years, which is basically you two, I imagine. Um, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> well, you're about to join it. Don't you worry, buddy. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, a la Rocky Horror Picture Show, particularly in Winnipeg, Canada, where not one but two fant- phantom paloozas? What the fuck? <laughs> Why is this the first time hearing about a phantom palooza? Well, and it's amazing. It's just this phantom. Yeah. It's not all phantoms. Oh, it's <laughs> only this one specifically. Only this. Yep. Yeah, this one specifically. Uh, in recent years, it has been something of a renaissance amongst film fans for its striking aesthetics, catchy roster of original songs, and dark humor inspiring artists from Daft Punk to Guillermo del Toro, oh, who called it a deranged, romantic, unique film with the perfect soundtrack and one of my most beloved films ever. This is the simply indescribable Phantom of the Paradise. I could see why those yeah. two. I feel like the Daft this. Punk inspo is really, really obvious. Yeah, when you yeah. watch it. Yeah, um, when you see, when, when you see it, you'll be like, ah, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the Guillermo del Toro. Uh, have you read the anecdote? Um, I'm just. I'm basically doing this from memory, so people can correct me if. Uh, you know, I'm wrong, but basically it was Paul Williams who, uh, again, plays Swan and wrote the music for this. Since it was like such a flop initially, it was sort of like this, you know, as, as what happens with flops, it was sort of like this stain on his career. Mm-hmm. You know, sometime later, like 10, 15 years later, he's like bumming around in Mexico City. So this kid recognizes him and he's like, hey, I love Phantom of the Paradise. Would you? I, I have it on me. Could you please sign it? Um, and <laughs> they have uh, it on it. And yeah, I, th- I think it must have been like a um, like a, like a meet and greet of some sort. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, he's like, yeah, sure. It's, I can't. You remember this? Okay. <laughs> and that kid turned out to be you guessed it, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Wow. This movie reminds me a lot of, um, if you've seen Kronos, uh, Guillermo del Toro's first movie. It, it, I didn't actually see it. Oh, I love that. That's actually probably I know. like. One of my it's, favorite I, Del Toros. It's very dark and silly. Yeah. Um, I think he said that's like his favorite one that he's made too, if I'm not mistaken. I love that movie. Um, and they kind of have a similar tone. Um, and just okay. in terms of like the, the humor versus like the horror. Yeah. I hadn't even put that together. I'm like, huh, Cronus feels a lot like Phantom of the Paradise. Look at that. Wow. Just brains firing up connections. Firing off. Yeah. On a Saturday morning. It's great. So Paul Williams and uh, Guillermo Del Toro have been working on a stage version of oh. Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, Pan's Labyrinth. And, oh, yeah. Oh, Pan's Labyrinth, shit. Um, which is like just kind of been in development for a little while. I'm, I'm reading an article from 2019, obviously. Mm. Things would have been put on pause. But yeah, so like the anecdote he tells about this uh, like random kid in Mexico City who asks him to sign his uh, Phantom of the Paradise album mm-hmm. is basically like, you know, you never know what is going to like 
impact people and stick with people yeah. because at this time in the 1980s, whenever Paul Williams met uh, Del Toro, he, you know, kind of considered this like a complete waste. And, you know, decades later, he is collaborating with this kid who he's, whose album he signed in the 1980s on like, you know, an ad, a stage adaptation of one of the most beloved films of the 2010s. That's adorable. So I love that's it. really sweet. I yeah. didn't know that. Good for Paul Williams. Yeah. Aww. It is a... Yeah, it's a heartwarming little uh, anecdote about how you never know what is going to stick with people. Because yeah. I think that's the thing is like this is a cult classic, you know, for a reason. It has like a ton of personality. It is just like, you know, it, it is very similar to Rocky Horror. It has a very mm. similar um, tone, a similar aesthetic, a similar kind of success story because Rocky Horror also wasn't a big hit whenever it was released. Yeah. And it was, this is just a movie that has kind of gained steam over the years. And I think also you, you know, I, you, you'll probably be predisposed to liking it because uh, <laughs> it's not really based on Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Okay. It references like Frankenstein. It's got like, it's kind of got like a lot yeah. going on. It's based, I think really the two main inspirations story-wise are Faust mm. and uh, the 1943 Claude Rains Phantom of the Opera, which is in itself not terribly similar to. Uh, the book because as with so many phantom adaptations, I see like half of all the, the phantom adaptations, he gets deformed in some tragic accident. And mm -hmm. that's his villain backstory as opposed to in the book and uh, the Lloyd Webber musical where um, he's just like Lady Gaga born this way. <laughs> um, the whole nature versus nurture. Yeah. Are you familiar with Faust? Yes. This is making a deal with the devil. Right. So Faust is important in the original book because, um, Gounod's Faust was the opera that they were putting on while, uh, you know, the Phantom was like teaching slash kidnapping Christine. Um, <laughs> it's the same thing. So in the, in, <laughs> yeah. yeah, in the Lloyd Webber, and you know, interestingly, in the Lloyd Webber musical, since it was in the public domain, they were originally actually going to use music from Gounod's Faust, which is still a pretty well-known opera. Mm -hmm. And uh, but then they, then they decided to write their own music, you know, to great wealth and success. <laughs> I, I mean, it works. I'm interested in the Paul Williams angle, especially because, you know, like he said, he wrote fucking the <laughs> the songs for the original Muppet movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, so when did you guys first watch this movie and where does it where does it sort of sit in terms of like how far along were you guys in Phantom Lore when you actually first saw it? I saw it in high school and I was in that phase where like you're very picky about adaptations of things you love and like <laughs> so much of it kind of just went over my head at the time. I was just like, this this doesn't get it. This is like a mockery of what I love. <laughs> and uh, smoking your clove cigarettes. This doesn't yeah. capture This doesn't capture the magic. Like wearing Yeah. You're wearing your like you laugh at me because I'm different. Yeah. I laugh at you because you're all the same shirt. Like the penguins are going to eat boots. me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I got like my hate bunny, uh, like stickers <laughs> and everything. Uh, but like, I saw it again, I think right after college. And then I was like, Oh shit, this is, this is awesome. Like this, this movie's great. This is probably my favorite after the Lon Chaney film adaptation, mm -hmm. my favorite adaptation of Phantom. So, like, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. honestly, like, I, I, th I would argue that it is better than the Lon Chaney version because the Lon Chaney version has a terrible ending. Yeah. Because, like, you know, spoilers. The Lon Chaney <laughs> version is the one that's closest to the book. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would argue, uh, you know, is 
is actually like it holds up. It's a it's a it's a good movie to watch, but the ending is just awful yeah. because um, the you know well whatever pre Hayes Code Hollywood uh, they originally filmed the ending that was the ending of the book slash also the ending of the musical, which is uh, he you know has a crisis of conscience and he lets mm-hmm. Christine Raoul and the Persian go because um, the Persian was in this. Version. Unlike you two, who will not let the Persian go. No. Okay. Oh God, sorry. Let I just, the Persian I got, go. Got, free him from yeah. the Phantom script. Let him. Yeah. So what happened was they they filmed this original version because um, the Persian was played by an Armenian actor. Um, so That's he was close. actually more or less, you know, you know, yeah. It's almost um, there. And he. And so then, like, in the final version, they retconned him into being a secret white guy who was pretending to be Persian. Always. And uh, that's they, how they changed. Roll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they changed the ending to he uh, gets stoned to death by an angry mob. Yeah. Um, and it's just very random and out of nowhere because, like, you know, the, the studio was like, mm, we can't have a villain have a sympathetic ending. So yeah. That's the problem with the Lon Chaney version. So I would say, as a whole, honestly, the, this movie is the best Phantom. Movie. Yeah. Like, it kind of gets how silly the story is but also like mm-hmm. the inherent like kind of romanticism of it. like Guillermo del Toro's I think comment about it really kind of nails it it's both it gets how silly it is but why people like it too like there's empathy and also just well, he probably nice. treats the phantom like it's like the phantom's a monster right and that's like Guillermo's whole thing is that he loves monsters and to humanize yeah yeah he's very sympathetic to the monster so whenever yeah. you watch this you're like I can what yeah yep yep that's I my boy I can see why would love this yeah that makes sense <laughs> yeah exactly because I think that's the thing is like you, you didn't really see a whole lot of that because um, mm-hmm. again with earlier phantom adaptations like none of them are very good because they all kind of take like these weird because like and th- none of them are very similar is the interesting thing because mm-hmm. my my, my knowledge of this movie comes from the fact that, like, I, you know, am a phantom completionist. Um, <laughs> I, I have to have seen all of them. Um, and there are, like, big-ish, there's, like, at least a dozen phantom adaptations and, like, dozens more teeny tiny ones, yeah. a mm-hmm. lot of foreign adaptations. And they're all really different. Like, you know, it's, like, sort of... <laughs> it's like you can't even say it's like all a variation on this like Hades and Persephone thing because it's not no. like this one is Faust the Cloud Reigns version is uh, like almost like original fanfic yeah so Phant- Phantom's like Batman everyone just sort of takes their stab and do whatever they want with yeah. it kind of or Jesus yeah, very <laughs> there's a Chinese version yeah <laughs> Uh, called Song at Midnight. That's cool. Um, yeah. Because his name is Song. And that one is like, uh, he he pretends to be a ghost. Yeah. There's a Robert England one where he basically is just Freddy Krueger. Yeah, it's That's just awesome. Freddy Krueger. It's, it's, it's a complete Freddy. There's a Charles Dance version. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a man named Charles like, Dance? Yeah, it's Tywin Lannister. Oh, that's Tywin. his name? Yes. Yeah. I didn't realize his last name was Dance. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does that in uh, what movie was that? It's like a oh, Ali G. Was not he in, in the Ali G. movie where he's in drag and dancing? And a, yeah, 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 he he's oh, in drag in the, 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 the Ali G. movie. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So that that is so basically like I I think I was in college when I saw this, so yeah. I I didn't hate it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's definitely one of those movies that grows on you. I'm I, I remember revisiting it when editor Paul Hi Paul. Um, <laughs> Did a back when he was doing YouTube videos, did an episode on it. If I recall correctly, this was one of his favorite uh, movies that he covered. So, right. yeah, there's just yeah. Well, fond memories all around. I, and this to me, I'm like, this is the only Brian De Palma movie that I like. <laughs> I am not a Brian De Palma fan. <laughs> I uh, I showed this to my sister recently for the first time. And my sister's like, you, Kaveh, where she like has just by virtue of being my sister has 
consume so much phantom media. Or maybe because. (laughs) Because has had to consume so much phantom media over the last, like, 20 years and is, like, kind of like, please, no. And I made her watch it. Yeah, I made her watch it, like, three weeks ago. And she turned to me and she was like, this is the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen. So Okay. Yeah. So. I'm optimistic about this. Yeah, me too. Listen, I've been led down this road before, right? Before we actually (laughs) saw Phantom for the first time. You guys set it all up. I remember this very well when we were in New York. And it was, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it sounds kind of cool now when you guys explain it this way. And then, you know, sadness. Uh, but no. So <laughs> sorry. It was very funny how much you viscerally hated it. Yeah, just, just wait till we, we like we start doing stage musicals again and we can do the David Stoller version. I was going to ask, <laughs> did this one never get turned in? I'm, I sort of I go blind into these notes. But was this ever a proper stage version? No, it wasn't. But according to these uh, interviews I'm reading with Paul Williams, um, they are they're talking about it. And like that is definitely a possibility uh, because Del Toro was definitely interested in uh, producing it. Mm, But this was also like, again, seems to have these discussions seem to have been put on hold because of COVID. Yeah. You know, Williams is still kicking. He's in his uh, he's in his 80s. Yeah. You know, he was just in Baby Driver. Yeah, oh. like I think I think I saw like that that some some very like small theater company tried to do like a one act musical of it. Um, mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. know, I honestly am shocked there hasn't been more attempts to put this on stage because it would lend yeah. itself incredibly well. I can only surmise that's because Andrew Lloyd Webber has a. Uh, even though it's a public domain story, has like such like a strong hold on like the public imagination. Yeah. So it says that there is one being developed. Doesn't really say what stage we're at. Mm. But according to Williams himself, like I especially want to see it on stage. I think it's natural for a musical. It can be a very immersive experience. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the fucking Phantom's been there for a hundred thousand years. They could just swap it out and just right. It's yeah. already got a stage farted <laughs> shit. Just put in this oh, new yeah. one if it's better, if it's more interesting on, or if it could be more interesting on stage, I should say. Obviously, I haven't seen it, so yeah. I don't yeah. know. I guess let's go hop in and uh, enjoy some beef. Oh, is this long? Beef. We didn't even. I forget to figure. I forget to ask. No. Is this it's one like, like ninety minutes? Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's not like a six-hour movie or anything. No, but this I would watch a six-hour version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would watch six hours of beef. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so it's a short one. It's not going to be, you know, Yeah, so this will be like the apology for uh, Descendants. Descendants, six (laughs) hours of Descendants. (laughs) Six hours of Descendants. You only have to do 90 minutes of work this week. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'm into it. I'm into it. All right. Well, after this line read, we will uh, answer the question, where's the beef? Where's the beef? This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service with thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles, such as Pizza, A Love Story, which is a film that profiles three iconic pizza restaurants in New Haven, Connecticut, Pepe's, Sally's, and Modern. Light Flex, I was excited to see this in the lineup because I was at the New Haven Film Festival a few years ago and screened alongside the creators of this film. And I also got to taste all the pizzas, and I can confirm that they're all delicious, so go check it out. You can also get access to our streaming video service Nebula when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. The Streamy Award-nominated Nebula is a video streaming platform built by creators for consumers to consume so they can hopefully turn around and create, thus also making them creators, making a wonderful cycle of loveliness for years to come. So why do I need Nebula if I've already got CuriosityStream? Well, my friends, the answer is simple. CuriosityStream is all about big-budget nonfiction videos, and Nebula is a place for smaller indie, education-type creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. With Nebula, you can see original, 
C word, that's content, from creators like Laura Crone, Adam Neely, and the one and only Lindsay Ellis. You like that? That's synergy, baby. Right now, you can get Curiosity Stream and Nebula for only $2.99 a month or $15 for the full year by visiting curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. Once you get the code, you'll get a welcome email from Nebula giving you access to the goods. Okay, and we're back from the luscious ad read. How did you guys... It was a good one this week. <laughs> Smooth, like four shots of espresso. <laughs> uh, we're back from paradise as well. Yes. Uh, where is the beef? Where is the <laughs> beef? Where indeed, indeed, is the bead? Is the bead? I'm sorry. Like I, uh, audience, forgive me. I um, Starbucks got my order wrong this morning, uh, so I have less espresso in me than I normally do. I might mispronounce some words like beef. <laughs> Boof. It's pronounced buff. It's the French way. Phantom of the Paradise, Brian De Palma's camp classic. Weird that it's not more iconic than it is, especially the outfit, right? The, oh my God. the Phantom's so outfit. So good. Why is there not like a cosplay staple? Oh, you know? I, I actually <laughs> like, like searched for this like while I was watching it. I was uh-huh. like, there's got to be, co- there's action figures of it as well, by the way. Oh yeah, I've seen the action figures. <laughs> I want the action figure really badly. It's like on my like holy grail of things because it's like sold out. But um, I have a friend who met their significant other because he was uh, cosplaying as Winslow Leach as the Phantom. <laughs> and <laughs> wow. That's yeah, how great you yeah, are girl. <laughs> Yeah. All, all relationships begin with Phantom in some way or other. <laughs> Good for her. All right. So Phantom of the Paradise, in summary, is a story of Winslow Leach. Again, it's more of a Faust retelling than a Phantom of the Opera retelling. But if it is a Phantom of the Opera retelling, it is more of the uh, Claude Rains 1943 version than Gaston LaRue's book or the Lon Chaney version. In this version, uh, Winslow is framed by Swan, played by the composer Paul Williams. Of uh, <laughs> he, He's got drugs planted. Yeah, he, he gets drugs planted on Mwah. him in order for Swan to steal his music. And he gets carted off to Sing Sing, and uh, it is here where his madness truly begins. <laughs> he escapes from Sing Sing, goes back to get his revenge on Swan, but gets even more fucked up yeah. by getting shot in the throat. So now his voice is gone, and he gets in a horrible record press accident. So now his face is all messed up, a la um, Michael Crawford Phantom. So he's got the half face. And so uh, his reign of terror begins, but it's actually pretty short because he ends up getting in with a literal deal with the devil, <laughs> by which, I mean, Swan, but Swan isn't the devil. Swan is like the devil's uh, um, advocate. He's the devil, like, yeah, he's no, he's like the proxy. Integrated. Al Pacino. Yeah, it's like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a devil pyramid scheme. Um, he's he's so it's, it's like a, he's selling yeah he's selling a uh, Rodan and Fields for the devil basically. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I knew somebody that got scammed by that. Oh, but here is where he meets his Christine, who is named Phoenix. Um, Again with the bird. Theme, Swan versus Phoenix. So Phoenix uh, is the one he wants to sing his music, but Swan's like, hmm, I think Phoenix is a backup singer, be- singer but do you know who what should sing know? my music? <laughs> Beef. Beef. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to his credit, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, and, and we'll, we'll explain Beef in a minute. Uh, so Winslow is not cool with this. Um, kills Beef on stage, and... Uh, <laughs> And then eventually, uh, you know, every, everyone dies, like in Faust, except for Phoenix, unlike in Faust. In, Fa- in, Fe- in Faust, uh, Marguerite does die, but she goes to heaven. 
Mm. And that's how Faust ends. Faust is funny, like all of those like operas back then, whenever someone does anything remotely wrong, everyone has to die. But the good death is like you go to heaven, right? Okay. Because Faust goes to hell at the end of Faust. That's at least one good thing. Yeah. So finally, a phantom you can root for. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In fact, that was my first big my th- first big thought of it. I was like about this in, within what do we call it in the Phantom Extended Universe, as far as like <laughs> part of the Phantom Canon, the Phantom Space Time Continuum. Yeah. This this is uh, he is not the villain in this. He's he's the he is the hero. Sympathetic anti-hero. Yeah. I'd say this one doesn't really have a hero. Yeah. He does do phantom stuff. Because I think this is the, the one of the fun things about phantom stuff in general is he runs around fucking shit up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so he does do that in this. And he, of course, does kill innocent people. Yeah. But, you know, it's like he's he, he, you understand his motivations. They're yeah. less, you yeah. know, it's like they're revenge, you know, uh, which was also the case in the Claude Rains version. I mean, I didn't advocate for him to kill beef obviously because i thought that was a funny character mm-hmm. i really yeah, like why he did it yeah but he gave it but he also gave beef a warning and to be fair beef yeah. tried leaving so it was sort of like they're victims of circumstance all right angie do you want to describe beef beef is a glam rock himbo i feel like if more people knew about beef beef would be a meme he yes. would be an icon like yes. that, like it's only lack of exposure that yes. is why beef is not like just completely saturated on like tumblr and twitter yeah i've so- actually I, when i saw him too when he first showed up when he comes out of like the weird coffin thing I, i've seen that gif of him before mm-hmm. like a million yeah. times yeah. and i didn't know what it was i was like oh that's what that's from also yeah. additionally that meme where everyone's like this actor always like understands the assignment mm-hmm. right i feel like the guy that played beef like he knew exactly what movie he was in interesting Uh, the actor Garrett Graham is uh, might be known to some of you as the voice of Jay Sherman's father in The Critic also a great performance (laughs) there too Um, that's hilarious but yeah beef is like this glam rock himbo parody of like I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I guess that's the thing. Is like beef really does. There's, there's clearly some Frankenfurter influence in there. Yeah. Uh, he's he's like a I guess a little more manly uh, Tim Curry, uh, a more feminine uh, Ace Freely. <laughs> you know what uh, he is? He's like the lead singer of the Darkness, but like <laughs> 30 years earlier. I totally know what that means. <laughs> no, I you don't remember in the that song from the... our youth? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That dude. That what guy. is it? Oh, remember the a crazy, uh, I believe in a thing called love, that song from like the early oh, 2000s. Yeah, yeah. One. yeah that video yeah. was no, hilarious. They I wasn't like listening to the radio then. I was wow. in college. I was too good for that. Oh, right. okay. I was only listening to like. You, you were listening to Phantom. <laughs> no, I was listening to like, you know, indie lesbian acoustic, like guitar and uh, Phantom. Yeah. yeah and Phantom. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And Phantom. It's uh, too too obscure of a reference for you, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mainstream radio, but (laughs) yeah, mainstream radio. It's true. If if it happened between uh, the year two thousand one and two thousand seven, I probably don't know it except for like as a historical relic. Right. This was how you didn't know Josh Groban. Like, yeah, yeah. You had never heard you raise me up, but I was like, that song tormented me for like all of high school. (laughs) You were in high school after I was. Oh, how the tables have turned, Lindsay. I know. Something that you don't know about <laughs> yeah. that I get to sway. One day, well, one day we're gonna find a because we, we keep trying to figure out like what is a musical that he knows that I don't because one of these days one of the, we well, gotta figure it out. It'll eventually happen, right? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, anyway, uh, so see. he was he was sympathetic, which I liked, mm. right? They they took the time to do it, and I also think tonally this worked more for me because 
I feel like Brian, again, Brian De Palma understood the assignment. He's like, this is fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. It, so just like be stupid with it and have fun. And it's ridiculous and absurd. So that kind of was like, okay, I can't, again, I've said this before. You can't shit on something that understands what it is. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in that aspect of it, it was much more watchable and far more sympathetic. <laughs> yeah. Andrew I thought, I thought you enjoyed particularly the contract part. Oh, yes. Oh, I, just, I took a note of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, he, Winslow didn't talk to his lawyer. Yeah. But he's just exactly. like, what does this mean? He's like, oh, well, that's to protect you. <laughs> party of the first part gives the party of the second part and his associates full power to do with him at their pleasure to rule body, soul, flesh, blood or goods. What does that mean? Oh, that's a transportation clause. Look in my notebook. It says, don't fuck with contracts without a lawyer. You know me too well. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, you can read through the language. Lawyers are just people that get paid to like go through with like a lot of time. And if I do the cope and to think about all the different things that could go wrong. But you could read them. You don't have to sign something immediately, folks. You can. Exactly. You can can think about it. Yeah, I guess Winslow strikes me as a little bit impulsive. Yeah. Yeah, he was very impulsive. He's too trusting. I would say that was like yeah. his biggest flaw and yeah. also being a murderer. But that, that too. That, that's a yeah. result. <laughs> he did <laughs> came later. Uh, he blew up a car full of people. Hey. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> nah, they yeah. had it coming. They were doing I mean, like, yeah, it's just like that's a that's a thing about like phantom media in general is you need like the fun phantom stuff, which is like wreaking havoc. Yeah. So car full of people, it's just going to happen. Also, like, I mean, that was like a thing Brian De Palma was a really big fan of in the 70s was like this sort of like dual camera yeah. showing to um, the split so, screen How stuff. do you explain that? Yeah, it's like split screen and it's the same scene from different angles or arguably even different like rooms. Because basically yeah. in the split screen, one of the screens is showing a performance on the stage and the other one is showing... Um, a prop car backstage that is being pushed onto the stage after uh, the Phantom has planted a bomb in it. I guess like we can talk a little bit about Hitchcock because De Palma is like the biggest Hitchcock fanboy in all of movie history, mm-hmm. and he's like really unapologetic about that. Um, which I kind of have mixed feelings on because like I feel like it's <laughs> it's funny uh, because like now you're like oh yes Hitchcock very intellectual, but in 1972 that was like really basic, you know, mm-hmm. it was just like uh, wow you're a Steven Spielberg fan, wow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> real like outside the box there. Buddy. Um, but like that scene, uh, you know, because like as, as sort of like this new wave uh, filmmaker, like of the early 70s, where we don't just make films, we study them because like Hitchcock uses a bomb as uh, the example of like, how do you create suspense yeah. is, you know, the bomb is there, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't know when it's going to go off. And so that's how you keep the audience engaged. Lean forward. Yep. Yeah. In that particular scene, it's also like juxtaposed with all this like goofy, like record industry, like, come on, you got to get out there. (laughs) And like (laughs) people just doing like lines of Coke really quickly and then like running on stage, like that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's like it didn't bother me in this movie because it was really silly. You know, it's just like normally like it's a little film studenty where it's just like, wow, drugs in Hollywood. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It really. It really makes you think. It really dinks the old dinker. (laughs) Um, Not to point this out, but to point this out, this is the second time you've used Hitchcock's, uh, I guess, explanation of suspense in relationship to Phantom. In relation to a Phantom. (laughs) Just saying. I guess it's it's like once every five years. So (laughs) You're you're allowed to do it once every five years. We do it in five-year intervals. (laughs) Well, the other one is obviously Psycho. Yes, Um, yeah. Right, that's the other uh, big reference in it, yeah. 
uh, I think like De Palma's done this at least three times where it's like someone in a like either in a shower or basically mimicking that um, the famous scene from Psycho uh, where, you know, uh, Norman Bates as Norman Bates's mother uh, kills Marion Crane. And in Phantom of the Paradise, it's uh, so good. The Phantom <laughs> is sneaks in on Beef, our our <laughs> glorious himbo, who is taking a shower, trying to get like trying to shake off his high, <laughs> and, uh, and he you know he stabs through the shower curtain, but then uh, gets Beef in the face with a plunger <laughs> and uh, <laughs> threatens him like you got to go now, yeah. or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> When I did look up that uh, cosplay, like I said, the guy that I found the picture of was also carrying a fucking plunger, which I thought was like the funniest thing I've ever seen as far as like, yes, 10 out of 10. Yeah. I feel like part of the reason why maybe this movie didn't, because if you want to compare it to Rocky Horror, which came out a couple years earlier, it was also kind of a flop upon release, but has been kept alive as a cult classic as like with uh, midnight screenings and whatnot, and is now one of those movies that like everybody's seen. And I feel like maybe kind of part of the reason why this one hasn't really reached the like sort of saturation that um, Rocky Horror did is that the music isn't that great. It's not very memorable compared to like Rocky Horror where the music is extremely memorable. Like when you think of Phantom of the Paradise, you think of like the scenes, the filmmaking, uh, the costumes, uh, some of the shots, some of the lines. When you think of Rocky Horror, you think of like the songs, right? Like you think of like the time warp or, you know, Hoppatootie or like touch it, touch it, touch it. Frankenfurter show. Yeah. Frankenfurter shows up. Uh, meatloaf. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I agree with that too. Cause one of the reasons I don't like love De Palma as a filmmaker, like he tends to be more, I guess for lack of a better word, like cerebral, especially it's like his camera placement, right? He shoots on these very wide mm-hmm. angles and it's usually very low. So like you mm-hmm. have these sort of bigger emotional scenes and like a Phoenix, for example, but it's like shot below looking up at her at a wide angle. And it's supposed to be her like crying and being very emotional, but it also just feels like super distant. So you're not necessarily like, in the moment with her, like to try and sort of feel the moments of like the songs that she's mm-hmm. singing or like whatever the sort of higher beats of it are. It's sort of like a technical critique of it more than anything. But yeah, I think yeah. part of it is just the way he makes films more than anything. I think also this one in particular, because you notice in like later films, he does kind of ease up on that. I think Carrie is a good example where that one does have a lot of uh, like close ups to its detriment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe he got it. He was like, after this one, he's like, I need to like do this a lot more close. Yeah, yeah, like really close, like uncomfortably close. Like, come here, sissy SpaceX. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think uh, like the camera work in this, it, it does have like a lot of like memorable shots. But like as a whole, it, I think it is very like you know detached. I think it works, but yeah. like I, I agree, that's part of why I like never was a huge De Palma fan. Even that one track we were just talking about, the the what you mm-hmm. song, the beach. I guess it's like the Beach Boys number that they're doing. With the car and there's a split screen that becomes very much about like the filmmaker showing you something and it's like someone's talking they're singing the song and there's also like this ticking clock in the back of it yeah so it's like yeah so the song is like super super ancillary yeah the one with the bomb is is originally Winslow's song but retold to do that 50s nostalgia thing that was really popular Mm -hmm. in 70s music it's the element you would pay attention to the least in that scene yeah where it's just like you know first being the bomb second being the cinematography third being the dialogue and then you hear the song Yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah, for sure. Sort for of, sure. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, I think the thing about the music is it's like 
I don't know if homage is the right word. I feel like each song is clearly going for a different like sort of feel and genre for whatever was kind of popular at the time, mm-hmm. like starting with a sort of nostalgia wave, which would have been like Grease. And then mm-hmm. Winslow shows up and I guess he's like Leonard Cohen. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's true, huh? then yeah. we have like uh, Phoenix shows up and I guess she's Carly Simon. Beef is like our glam rock, you know, Frankenfurter. So I feel like, like it's T-Rex like it's probably, trying. Probably, yeah, yeah T-Rex point. is a really good like <laughs> comparison, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think I feel like the the thing about the music is it doesn't really um, it doesn't feel cohesive and like as yeah, far it's not as, very like, cohesive and yeah, it's not very memorable. I love the soundtrack, so like I, I'm like yeah. I'm the minority in here. I actually really do like the soundtrack a lot. I can't remember any of the songs. Oh man, I just like, and I've seen it several times. <laughs> I like I like Beef's song a lot. Like when they're like up there shredding. Like there's some funky bass oh, lines yeah. like yeah. when they're on stage. The song, like my favorite song in the whole thing, is actually playing during the closing credits, which is kind of a shame. It's called like the hell of it, and that song. <laughs> the hell of it, yes. Slaps. Fun fact: I, I realized I was listening to that song, the hell of it, and it's got that like dun dun dun, and I'm like, I've heard this before. And I realized that there, so there's a Foo Fighters song. Uh, it's called Something from Nothing. Which, if you go back and listen to the main theme, and I like busted out my guitar, and I'm like, oh, this is the same key as well. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not exact, but it's. I'm like, I'm a hundred percent convinced. And I went down a rabbit hole to see if like anyone had noticed this online. And there's even like a making of that song, and there's no reference. But I'm a hundred percent convinced. Dave Grohl knows about this movie, knows that song, <laughs> and it lodged into his memory. If you listen to it, it's like it's almost exact. It's crazy. Now I want to go and listen to this. Yes, Paul Williams has a lawsuit in the mail. Yeah, I'm like, Dave I love Grohl. Dave Grohl. I'm sorry if this gets a lawsuit, but like, yeah. I'm like, if, if should... Katy Perry can lose a lawsuit for. <laughs> no, but Angie, seriously, go listen to it. You'll love it. Oh, You'll, okay. It's totally, it's very, very that, similar. Doing that as soon as I am done here. And on, <laughs> on, on that note of Paul Williams, I do think there is some credence that sometimes musicians can be good actors because he like chews this movie up and spits oh, it yeah. out. And yeah, I, he knows what movie he's, he's in. It's, fantastic I didn't realize what he looked like so I I just I knew Paul Williams but I never actually seen him before so when you guys said that he started this movie I assumed that that's that's who was playing Winslow Mm. and I was Mm -hmm. like oh man this guy should just stick to fucking writing music because he's super weird and awkward and then I looked it up I was like oh that's actually some like really famous character actor that I didn't know about Was it William Finley? Mm-hmm. Yeah. William Finley is Winslow. Paul Williams is Swan. And I was another thing is it was like, you know, the 70s were not kind <laughs> to like uh the aging process, I guess, because Paul Williams was Ugh. only like 32. Yeah. He, he was a baby. Was yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's like 45. Yeah. It, it's a very yeah. hard 32. Yeah, maybe that's all those drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All that smack. Because I mean they keep talking. All that fast. They keep talking living. about the smack. Well, I mean, I don't know. It is kind of weird how, like, uh, is it because we moisturize now? Like, when you look at pictures (laughs) of, like, Tom Petty in 1983, and he's, like, 37, and he looks like he's 47, and you're just sort of like, man, is it, maybe they just didn't wear sunscreen. Yeah, they didn't wear sunscreen, they smoked more, just, like, lived faster and more unhealthily, I guess. We're Um, all also indoors all the time. We're all, like, just in front of a screen inside the house, so we probably just didn't get as much exposure. I am a mole Mm -hmm. person. We're just turning into, like, the the marshmallow people from Wally, slowly but surely. We got that yeah. LED light skin. Oh my! <laughs> like right, that right. LED lights, That's where we get our tan. Keeps you yes. young. Yeah, Paul Williams being like, I lived in my twenties yeah. and thirties. What are you <laughs> right. doing? He's like, I made Phantom of the fucking paradise and wrote moving right along. 
and you guys are just sitting here <laughs> playing That's with true. your dicks. Guys like, a, guy's a legend. Yeah. And really just a, a legendary performance from him. There's like that moment where you yeah. see younger Swan as like kind of like the 50s oh, yeah, yeah. heartthrob <laughs> like in the bathtub. Yeah, like he, yeah, he uh, getting his, uh, uh, signs his contract while completely high. <laughs> so the devil like takes advantage of him while he's like high on quaaludes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's, there's also like a movie that the more I watch it, the more that I am just like struck by like some really cool things that do happen into it. Like the, there's that that one scene where Swan is sitting at his like little round like how do I describe it? Oh, like Stanley Kubrick record? desk, the, yeah. yeah. Like and it just pans to all the different people singing Winslow's song and like different genres of music. And I'm just like sitting here like this is so fucking cool. And I think <laughs> to speak to an earlier part, point, part of the reason why I don't think it kind of got to the level of Rocky Horror Picture is that it's a more coherent movie and a better made one. I, yeah, I think there's part, like, there's definitely, like, that part of me that, like, is obsessed with, like, Showgirls and mm-hmm. Transformers where it's like, if it was good there wouldn't be something to add to it you know yeah like a good movie you want to like sit and like enjoy and that's the thing about rocky horror is it's like it's watchable but like we've never done the midnight screenings we Mm. might Uh, (laughs) but like part of the midnight screenings is people are just yelling at it the whole movie (laughs) um and uh like you wouldn't do that to like mad max fury road you know like you don't do that to lord of the rings there's not like lord of the rings midnight screenings where like you you just you talk along to it or like you like gandalf says fly you fools and the audience goes bye you know like (laughs) frodo doesn't go like oh i'm gonna wear that sexy red dress and people go what sexy red dress you know like uh, as they do in the room (laughs) (laughs) the room is another good example so i think like in a weird way the Phantom of the Paradise's coherence is a mark against its cult status. Yeah. Because I think the thing about like cult movies is like they feel incomplete uh, while also Mm. having a lot of personality. And on on another note, any theater people in the greater LA area um, that do midnight screenings, could you please make Showgirls midnight screenings a thing? Like it is time. (laughs) Like we need to make it happen. I don't understand why it's not a thing. Baffling, honestly. Huge, huge failure on the part of the theater going community in like the world, but especially in LA. That is shocking. It doesn't have a midnight screening. I mean, it, it does. I've seen it, but there's no like culture around it. Oh, which sure. Is just baffling yeah. to me. Cause I've seen, like, I've seen showgirls like 400 times. <laughs> I, you know. <laughs> wow. Is there a big online culture of it, about it? I mean, I guess there's a big online culture around everything, but. Particularly, yeah, the yeah. showgirls have like a, a specific one that's analogous to like. No, uh, just not enough. Never enough. I don't get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think Rocky Rocky Horror's staying power is the soundtrack because I I really like the music of Rocky Horror, but like I'll be honest, I don't really like feel the urge to watch it ever. You know, like I'd rather just yeah, listen yeah, to yeah, it. exactly. Because like every time we do karaoke, someone's probably doing a song from Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like I think of like Phantom of the Paradise, they don't even have the option to do one of these songs. <laughs> I, I've never seen a song from Phantom of the Paradise, and like even like the karaoke places that have like a jillion options, like the Heel Sonic options, right? Like they'll have songs from like nineteen twenties, like Bugsby Berkeley, yeah. like, kind of, and then but the, like no Phantom of the Paradise, <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have Al on it. It's, it's like they they have songs from the original Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera, but not Phantom of the Paradise. Weird. No. Um, see, see, the joke is it's a silent film. That's, that's the joke. <laughs> when I we were talking about this in the first part, I was like, I have never shown this to somebody and they didn't at least like vibe with it, if not love it. And I'm like, it it's actually like good. 
Like, it knows what it is. It understands Yeah, that's, that's why I joke. It's like, yeah, that's part of why I'm like, this is the only Brian De Palma movie I enjoy. <laughs> Another thing is, like, it's respectable because I think horror comedy is a really hard thing to do well. Or do it all, really. Because, like, I feel like there's, like, a handful of examples where people, you know, kind of will come back to a movie. Like, not squirm. <laughs> Saw? What's the Shaun of the Dead? Oh yeah, Shaun of the Dead is a good example. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Shaun James Gunn's first movie. Uh, Debatably, Slither. Slither. Yes. yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's oh, like, Slither was yes, his. Slither. Yeah. Oh, not the Slithers from the nineties. No, Slither the Worm movie from two thousand six. Oh, okay, so that's a different. <laughs> movie. Yeah, it, it's a, like it's like, and then immediately he got Guardians of the Galaxy. So, well, not immediately. It was twelve years later, but you know, <laughs> the trajectory is still there. Random question. So this comes out in 74, whilst our boy George Lucas is in the midst of writing the Star Wars movies, right? Mm-hmm. Before he goes off to film it. I see, and I know that for a fact, he is homies with fucking Brian De Palma. That's part of their friend group. Mm-hmm. How much mm-hmm. of Phantom of the Paradise, of that fucking weird costume with like the voice box and the chest thing, do you think is a direct influence on Darth Vader and his costume and his character. Because I was like, this looks like the exact same thing to me and the chronology adds up. I wonder if he just ripped him off. That is just that putting is it out there. My kind of conspiracy theory right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and De Palma loves ripping off as homage. So he just, you know, he'd be flattered. Yeah. He'd be like, and I'm pretty sure De Palma didn't like, I think it's De Palma that didn't, because I know that he, when Lucas had the first screening with everybody in Star Wars, I, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure De Palma was like, I don't know what the fuck I just watched. Whereas like uh-huh. other people. Well, he like, wasn't helpful. the first Star Wars, just like a disaster. Like yeah. that was like the ur saved in the edit. I think mm. he helped him write the actual opening scroll as well. I think that was De Palma's idea. Again, I might be wrong, but I know because they were, it was like him and Lucas mm-hmm. and, and uh, Coppola and all those guys that were friends, mm-hmm. but. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a direct. All right. It is canon. It is known. Uh, (laughs) Phantom gave us. If it weren't for Phantom of the Opera, we wouldn't have uh, Darth Darth Vader. Vader. Darth Vader is. He is the Phantom of the Opera. Darth Vader is the Phantom. I'm just (laughs) saying the overlap of horny Darth Vader fangirls and horny Phantom of the Opera fangirls is a circle. Um, So I'm just going to put that there. I mean, I guess what's her name would be Padme would essentially be Christine, right? If she died in childbirth bearing twins. <laughs> yeah. Oof. God. Oof. Oh, wow. She kind of looks like Christine. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there should be a fan cut of this. Revenge of the Sith predicted love never dies. Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> they should recut all the Star Wars movies to be a giant Phantom of the Opera movie. I've got to, I mean, don't put it out there. Temp- Someone else has done that already. Like, there is some devoted, yeah. like, Anakin's Phantom Girly. 1992 has made that opus already. It is on YouTube and it is so I'm Googling it. I I honestly believe that. I'm like, it's way too similar. They totally, those guys cross paths. There's no way that that, that Lucas wouldn't have seen that and not had that at least in the back of his head while he's making it. You know that vine of like that woman like singing to her cat and then putting the flower on its head and then like the cat suddenly sees through like space and time. Like that is... How I feel right now. Okay, so all right, I just googled it. I'm not getting a lot of Anakin, but there's a ton of Raylo. Oh. <laughs> like, that makes a lot more sense, actually. God, like just, just uh, so wow. There's a Pinterest board. Hold on. Oh yeah, that 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 is also a circle. Circles all around. Just, oh wow. I there's just so much. I did not expect this. I mean, like I was expecting a lot. I just didn't expect it to be so easy and all in one place. Oh, damn. <laughs> I spent like most of the past wow. five years like texting my sister bad wow. Raylo phantom art like 
Honestly, if they were to ever do a, a proper Star Wars musical, they should just rip off Phantom of the Opera and then just have it be the Raylo thing. That seems like easy money right there. Boom. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of the shitty thing about Raylo is they don't lean into it. Like, they're just, just like so half-assed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like, really, they need to redo it, but just make it Phantom. And yeah. then people would like it because yeah. everybody likes Phantom. Yeah. Including our, our boy here. <laughs> Our boy, yeah, he just can't. He just, he just can't. He just can't get away from it. He loves like, it so much. And I just keep like putting out ideas. I'm like, all right, here's how we make the new musical revamped. And we do a crossover with Star Wars, and it's just printing money. It's printing money. Let's go. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, I think uh, we're about ready to wrap. Yeah, it up. we should probably wrap it up. But overall, <laughs> Phantom of the Paradise, totally absurd, still better than Phantom of the Opera by Andrew Lloyd Webber, in my opinion, which is a low, low bar. I always joke that this is the only good Phantom movie, but I think it kind of is because, like, you know, uh, all Phantom movies are terrible. Um, <laughs> and this one is the only one that's not, except for arguably the Lon Chaney version, which is funny because people will be like, oh, I like the Claude Raids version. No, the Claude Raids version sucks. It sucks hard. I am not a fan, but... Yeah, I'd agree. This is my favorite, like, phantom film in general. Although, like, although a lot of people stand for the Robert England version. <laughs> it's oh. bad, it's, but people like it. <laughs> really bad. They're all bad. That's the point. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is the, but I think, they're different kinds of bad. You know what? This one, again, like you said, Kaveh, this one leans into the silliness and the badness, and it, as yeah. a result, it actually works and is good, and that's why I like it. Exactly. It, it, you have, like, a really good anti-hero that you kind of, like, emotionally feel for, even though he's a piece of shit. And it's silly and it's big. And I'm like, that is everything that I like yeah. about this story. It's a revenge narrative that maybe you don't condone, but you get it. <laughs> you and that's get all it. you understand. really need. And this is ripe for like, a remake. You get it. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that, but then I'm like, no, because like I feel like the simplicity and jankiness of this is part of its charm. Mm. And if it got a remake, it'd be like more polished and they'd be like going way harder on the comedic elements and it would just be like more you know, each element would be just more. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that would be to the this detriment. So I'm the gonna detriment. say like yeah. Oh, Paul Williams didn't mention like it would be a great stage show. And I think yeah. like that it would be like I'd rather I'd much rather see a stage show of this than um, a remake. So that makes if sense. Any, uh, now that Broadway is thinking about reopening, um, so I know we have a lot of influence in the Broadway community. Are listening? Uh, you should. Um, you should hit up Paul Williams. I know he's interested and in, like make it make it happen. Please. We'd be willing to come out on stage and introduce it. You know, give our yeah. whole heart. We'll, we'll, we'll tell everyone you're welcome. <laughs> I I will invest in the show. We'll, we'll I be will be like Maui. <laughs> what can I say except you're welcome? You're welcome. <laughs> well, once again, Angie, we love you, and it's fantastic to have you with us as well. Even though it has to always be around Phantom, unfortunately, except unfortunately. for the one time that we did. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, Phantom. <laughs> Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for having me again to just, I guess, like um, spew Wax about a Phantom. movie I love. Like, yeah, and watch <laughs> Phantom and talk about a cool costume with a neat hat. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for having me. Look, first of all, guys, real talk, rate us, tell us you love <laughs> us, tell everybody in the podcast <laughs> rating systems that we're the best. Also validate. use those codes, validate, make us feel good about ourselves. It really helps us out. If you can use any of the codes that we got from the luscious ad reads, also follow through with those. Tell everybody about this that you know. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Musical Splaining with no G, at Musical Splaining with a G on Instagram. 
I'm at Coffetarian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram, where I do funny comics that are fun. Um, I'm Y Angelina Y on Twitter, and if you like hearing me talk about unfortunately horny fangirl shit like I did today, you can Clegane find more ass. of that there. Clegane ass, <laughs> I will convert the world. But I'm Y Angelina Y on Twitter. That's about it. There you go. <laughs> I highly recommend Angie's Twitter. It's a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I recommend everybody get off. <laughs> we will see you next time. See you later. Adios. Adios.